Hi, everyone. I just wanted to do a quick note at the top of the episode to let you know that this week we launched our official Discord server. Um, We are so pumped because we put this together to be a hub of all kinds of different discussion. We understand that some people might not be on different types of social media and on Instagram, we can't share links. On Facebook, it doesn't have the same type of community. And we wanted to create this hub to be able to share all kinds of stuff like avatar TikToks, fan art, and as well as recommendations for other podcasts or YouTube videos featuring avatar content. Uh, There's so much to be discussed and so many wonderful perspectives, and we wanted to be able to create a hub to be able to suggest all of that. Um, So feel free to join us. We have a link in our show notes and also on our website as well. So be sure to check that out. Join us for the discussion, and we hope to see you there. Thanks, guys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I am Colin, your main host, and today I am joined by Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Colin. <laughs> so, guys, we're back this week with some more Legend of Korra discussion. We're continuing our journey through book two, and today we are talking about episode five, Peacekeepers. Uh, so I, I just want to get like before we get into the episode, like I don't know for uh, I don't know about you, but just like especially getting back into rewatching book two of Korra, what has it been like for you so far in terms of like revisiting these episodes now that we're near that kind of halfway point of the season? It's it's so interesting for me because this is my second watch through on Korra. Like I probably watched the first season a f- couple of times when everything came out, and then like life for me hit. So then I only watched all these through like once. Um, so now that I'm going through it again, I'm like seeing, remembering some things, but also seeing some things in different lights. Um, I have to say, I kind of forgot about my love of Eric. <laughs> and, and I can't wait for the, the rest of this episode. Oh my God. I know this is a, this is a very juicy uh, Varric episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, what, like my thoughts on the episode are, I love the development of Varric from the, mm. They like they kept like kind of making a joke of him for a little bit, and then it it escalates. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, we start off this episode uh, back in Republic City. Obviously, when we left off last time, it was the two Civil Wars episodes. Uh, we had so much that was going on in the South clash between Unalak and Tarlock, and uh, just it was it was all it was all going bad real fast. But Cora and the gang. And uh, Varric and Julie escaped on a boat heading towards Republic City. And now, as we see them dock at one of <laughs> in Republic City, the first thing we see is Lin Beifong welcoming them back. Welcome home, Avatar. Thanks for starting a war. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Oh, I love Lin. Uh, it's true Beifong energy. Like you can absolutely tell that that is a hundred percent something Toph would say, where she would just like immediately start ribbing you for like starting a conflict. Way like to this. go, Twinkle Toes. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just that. Like, yeah, really? Yeah. Did you have mm-hmm. to do that? <laughs> <laughs> um. So 
Mako, uh, as they're kind of deciding next steps, he makes an argument for Korra to stay out of uh, a peace march that the Southern Water Tribe uh, is going to be doing in Republic City. Uh, he says that, you know, it might make things worse if you blatantly support one side. Um, but, I mean, Mako's not really reading the room as much with Korra <laughs> because she is clearly very much on... She She's just so supportive of her tribe right now. And it's tough because on one hand, Mako kind of like is trying to look at this from, you know, the perspective of not only a public city cop throughout this episode, but also just like trying to remain level headed. But as we have seen, not only in this season, but I think in the previous season, too, is that sometimes Mako's desire for being level headed gets in the way of him just being able to read the room and make like a good like social decision (laughs) you're totally right yeah he he is his um, ability to yeah read a room is just awful it's like in this whole thing it's like i get he's on the rocks with cora but to be like well maybe you shouldn't do this oh that's great this has always gone well when you tell cora let alone your girlfriend and cora (laughs) you're wrong (laughs) well and i think i think what's really interesting and i think the reason we see all of this happen like this is because i think it's the absence of tenzin he has always been such a rock and a like he's that older figure that he can have that like sage advice to be able to share and Korra can get mad at him and then vent to Mako and the others instead Mako is like assuming that role himself and she is she she doesn't have like Mako to go to she's just getting mad directly at Mako for doing this and yeah. It just it really shows the echoing effects of Tenzin not being there and being kind of her spiritual advisor um, yeah. throughout the season. And actually thinking on it, that's a good point. I was uh, going through like a, a couple of summaries of this episode as well, just to be like, OK, I want other perspectives. If anyone gets a chance, sarcastic summaries is a great thing on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. They're a little bit harsh on Korra, but uh, <laughs> but your point about that with having Tenzin not be there, it's interesting. It's almost like Korra. They kind of took a little bit of the Zuko plot line that they had from um last airbender mm. where and now they're kind of mixing it with ang in this person so you're kind of getting a mix you're almost getting to see like if if the first story exclusively followed zuko is the a and i feel like mm. we're getting that a bit with cora yeah absolutely and you know we just saw the uh what happened with zuko when ira was out of his exactly. life and how much he spiraled not having that kind of stability that ira you know really was that you know helped provide because that's the thing with a mentor figure like that is that they are going to be there no matter what. They are going to give you hard truths. They're going to give you different perspectives. And it doesn't matter how much you disagree with them. They are still going to offer that opinion. And there is still that you still have to have a little bit of reverence there of like, okay, you are my elder. Um, granted, I don't know how much of that Cora would listen to because she clearly <laughs> made the decision right from the beginning of the season being like, no, buy Tenzin. <laughs> But, but then it, what it was, chances was, Mako stand then? <laughs> exactly. And, and I mean, and it's it's sad because Korra made that decision to abandon Tenzin to train with Tarlock. And now she doesn't have that at all. And you have to kind of think like how much of this was Tarlock really mapping out, understanding that like if he isolated Korra away from a voice of reason how much that might be able to influence her trajectory and you know where she's going to go with uh 
her role in this whole civil war and with the spirit portals. That's a good point. So we see Asami departs uh, for her factory. Mako is back on the beat and in, uh, Korra is investigating the peace march. And Bolin is just like, uh, so what do I do, guys? And like Mako is just like, I don't know, Bolin, just figure it out. And like there's this just sad Bolin moment. But you know what? Then we see Varric and Varric looks at him and it's just like, all right, I got this. And he it's what makes I think like what wins Varric over for us like so quickly is that he really has like he's really just like I think sees the potential in Bolin and cares for Bolin because I think he also sees how much everyone's kind of like casting him a little bit to the side here and I I don't know it's 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 really wonderful to see uh kind of Varric step in and really be that uh supportive figure for Bolin in this season And I, and I love it for this episode because I feel like that was such a great way for them to be like, oh, Varric, you're such a great guy. <laughs> I know. Uh, so uh, back in the south, we see a little quick moment here where Unalak is continuing war planning um, and Eska and Desna return. Uh, Eska walks in and she like her makeup is spilled all over the the place her hair is like like a total mess it's so funny but what's really interesting about this very short moment is that Desna questions Unalak's promises and words to Korra he even says just like well that's not what you told Korra yeah I just thought it was very interesting because we start to see a little bit of like He's not a hundred percent like blindly loyal. Uh, Esna kind of has her wants and needs, specifically Bolin, uh, but Desna is like we start to see a little bit of a uh, difference from him, and I thought that was really interesting yeah. in this moment. I agree. It's both the um, the yeah their their loyalty to to Unalak, but also Unalak's loyalty to them that mm. he didn't reveal the full plan to them. And it's oh, just, absolutely. And I love that that seed of like, why don't we know this? Mm-hmm. absolutely because you get you get the sense that it's just like well if you're just using Cora and you're hiding information like it plants that seed of doubt is he just using, using us yep mm-hmm. so uh after this short scene we go for another short scene back at the southern air temple as we are introduced to this wonderful b plot this episode of milo trying to train a lemur uh his lemur friend pokey and Tenzin just like shaking his head and he's just like, oh, classic over rewarding. It's just like, you can't, you can't, you can't train a lemur like that. And, you know, it's, it's very funny because Tenzin offers to help him learn how to train these lemurs. And, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. But boy, oh boy, the journey that uh, Milo is about to go on here, it's, uh, <laughs> we get a, we get a real insight into his character. <laughs> uh, and, and what Tenzin has unleashed upon the world. Truly. <laughs> so then we see Republic City at night. Uh, the Peace March is happening outside the Southern Water Tribe Cultural Center. Intentions are rising. Uh, we see all of these Southerners, like with candles in their hands, walking through the streets. Korra is there with them on top of Naga. We see Northern Water Tribe members on the like the outsides of like the march, who are like j- jeering at them and like yelling at them. And it's just this really interesting moment where we are starting to see 
this like tension and clash between them. And this is going to get into, I think, one of my first critiques of this episode. And I think like where we start to see the trajectory of this season is that on one end, we've always I always love how much Cora really speeds along through the season. But we've talked about it in the previous season as well, where there's moments that like I, I wish things would slow down just a little bit. And it's something like this that I would really love to dive into. I I would want an episode where we get to hear from maybe some Southern Water Tribe individuals or Northern Water Tribe individuals, a scene where maybe Korra is trying to talk to them. And there's like, a, we see more of the kind of, I don't know, non like main plot focus characters interacting with Korra or some of the others. Because... I think that that was sometimes what a slower run, like a slower, more drawn out series can really benefit from are these moments where you get uh, the main characters interacting with the world so that they can kind of get an additional perspective. But at the same time, is that something even Korra would do? And that's what we kind of have to ask Mm. ourselves and just in terms of how, like headstrong she is and how determined she is to support the South. And I I don't know. Do you think that something like that would lend itself? Do you think Cora would find herself in a position like that? And do you think that that would change like how she would feel about the situation? That's an interesting point. I was, I was kind of thinking it's the really the shame of the whole compression of the first season that the, that Mike and Brian had to deal with. I feel like Mm -hmm. where they had to sacrifice what is an extremely interesting world to only kind of give you snippets at it. You don't really, it's like, I feel like in Avatar last airbender, there was a number of slower episodes where you kind of got to learn a little bit more of the region, the history of a place. Um, Like there, there could be those side things where things occurred that would develop the world. I feel like the world building of this was kind of like, almost like you kind of had to follow along, which is, I think this is all, thinking it out I'm like it's the whole shame of the first season where they couldn't express the rest of the equalist feelings and the feelings of non-benders throughout the world and, and so like they had a scrap at the end of the first season because well all right Amon's gone all right well I needed a whole other plot so now we're gonna have it north first south water tribe um and they kind of just started shoving it in and it's really just too bad because I feel like they could have had more things developing on the side outside of just Korra's plot line so I agree with you generally, which is that I think it would have been nice for the audience to see it, maybe expose a little bit more of what's going on in the world. Otherwise, yeah, it's like you just kind of are dropped into this. Cora goes smash, and then <laughs> we continue about our way. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think that again there are pros and cons to both. Because I think that having like that fast moving storyline, you get to tell an incredible story in a short amount of time, and the writers are doing some incredible things in terms of packing in tons of information and little bits into each of the scenes. But again, yeah, it's like it is a shame that again, you know, okay, so what are some of like the non benders feeling about this like situation? Are they like here we go, another war between like bending nations. Are there non-bender Ex- like yeah. non-benders from the water tribe? Like how did they feel about this? Is like cuz I I feel again that there's a lot they can kind of uh a lot of the issues and a lot of the feelings that the general populace goes through could compound with each season. And yes. 
that's what I feel like sometimes we lack. Um, because again, you think of uh, like book two of Avatar The Last Airbender. Think about the all the different people that like Zuko and Iroh meet along their way when they meet Song, uh, who yeah. uh, was just like burned by the Fire Nation. Getting that like that perspective is what lends. That's what helps Zuko get his first taste into what is wrong with the Fire Nation, and we never see her again. And it, but it's like this very potent uh, episode because we it, it really gives Zuko that opportunity to see that. And then with Aang and the gang going through the Serpent's Pass and hearing about the plight of the refugees. Uh, kind of like really seeing like what they are going through to try to get to Bossing, say, understanding the effects of the war on these people and what that has driven them to to try to survive and find a way to continue to live their lives. That is sometimes something we miss in Korra. And I I think that it's something where if you make the choice to run a, a faster story, you 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 have to sacrifice things. And I think that that's what they did. I think, and I think that's where so much of the tension lies with so much of people's comparisons between Avatar and Korra is that I think that there is this longing to have those like types of episodes and they're just not there. And it's why we have to continually remember that they are two completely different series. It is a, it is a, the same world but this is two completely different series in the way that they're written and the way that like the pacing and the plot is all laid out. Agreed. Yeah. And they end up trying to come up with four more or less self-contained seasons within Korra Mm -hmm. and writing with that very specific plot in mind of what they're going to do versus Avatar, which was always that one plot. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, defeat the Fire Lord. It it was, you know, they tell you episode one, that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in Korra, it's a it's kind of just coming along for her development and dealing with the struggles of being an avatar in the new and changing times. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I think that that is like in and of itself like such an interesting journey and such an interesting perspective because you know Aang's journey was it's the hero's journey. We follow it. It's like it is that classic model of like him going along that way, and it kind of reflects that. Whereas Korra's, it's complicated because you know what they live in a much more complicated world, and that's what we're seeing with this episode and with like this whole tension between the north and the south there's so much happening on a global scale now that suddenly she is finding herself in the thick of it yeah i know we have other stuff to get to in this episode but Mm -hmm. honestly what got me in this episode was watching this so this you know we're almost 10 years later eight years later um from these episodes and this is hitting so close to home. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's getting a little freaky. That's that, yeah. that'll be my last comment on this section. It's, it's it. I, I think it's great that Korra came out now for people to rewatch on on Netflix because it is dealing with a lot of issues that we're that we're currently unpacking. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's it's very interesting to see like how like that how quickly that division is just like how it just goes from something, you know, again, there was tensions before, but how quickly it can steamroll into becoming something that can get out of hand and how easily an external force can just completely really upend that. And which is what we see here. Um, So 
we see as the march is going on, Mako is on the lookout as two figures run by and then one of them, as he spies him just at the last moment, detonates a bomb that explodes inside of the Southern Cultural Center. And Mako chases them down, retrieves the detonator from a firebender that we notice. And this is like something where it's like, again, he's like blasting towards him. And then the like this dude is bending it away. I remember distinctly watching this episode for the first time when it came out and how shocked I was that they went here, that they went to like a level of a bombing inside of a building. Yeah. And I think that it truly is like such a reminder of how advanced this world has become in terms of just like what people can do and how small of a thing can make such a big impact on an event like this. And I, I, it was so stark uh, to see that. Um, So, the last thing we see in the scene is that Mako returns to Korra, um, explains that what he saw in this moment. And, you know, he said, I don't think the North might not be involved. There was a firebender there, but Korra is convinced. She knows that the North did this and all of this tension that's been building between them has brought them to this point of distrust. Korra doesn't trust Mako's word because she thinks he's, trying to control her. So before we get into the Mako Korra dynamic and everything, I want to get your thoughts first on kind of this peace march, the bombing and how it kind of leads into this scene and your reaction to that. Yeah. So the, I will go, I would reference the close to home stuff that's going on, but also I'd have to say it's, I love the, the historical parallels that they're doing with uh, something like this, which is, um, the whole like you know one side or the other it's like organizes something and then every time humanity manages to find that jerk <laughs> mm. um or at least that's how it comes off at this point but i have to say what well, i i agree with you what got me was that i mean this whole series they've been showing that they'll do things completely different from last airbender they're willing to kill people pretty much mm-hmm. on screen all over the place yeah um and I mean, this season opened up pretty much with two guys dying. <laughs> like, I don't know if we got a chance to talk about that more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to then have a have it be a bomb and to develop this very complex plot is what got me. And I love, like you mentioned with the firebender, that subtleness of the them bending it away, where you're just like, oh, oh, this is a little deeper. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I've liked is that Korra never shied away from having something be a few layers deep mm-hmm. um, and having to then unpack it from there. Definitely. This episode has a couple of those, actually. That's what I love, is that there's a couple of different onions that get peeled away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what, that's what I thought of uh, watching this episode again, was appreciating more what these writers developed in such short episodes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, again, I, we have this tension between Korra and Mako. We've been talking about it all, se- all, like, kind of all season here. Obviously, there's been tensions. They have disagreements. Mako has tried to comfort her, and she's seen that as combative. And in the last episode, in Civil Wars Part 2, I mean, or in Civil Wars, actually, I think it was, yeah, Part 1, Daniel brought up a really good point in our last discussion, talking about how when Mako was like, look, how do you want me, like, what, 
how can I, how can I be there for you? Like, what is like, what can I do? Should I listen or do you want advice? And it was this really powerful moment. And again, them not having that date to be able to just have some time away from everything. I think it made all the difference because when you can't take that time to reset and especially it's just like when you're in a relationship and there's tension, it you if you don't take that time to like sit down, just the two of you, hash things out, really approach everything and talk it out, then it's just going to be bubbling under the surface the entire time. And because the thing is, there's so many external forces, tensions are rising, everything is becoming so much more complex, the lives of countless people are on the line, and it's suddenly not so simple. And I think that when we get to this point, Mako, he wants to try and do what's right and be like truthful to, you know, the ideals of justice and everything that goes along with that. And Korra, she's stuck between a rock and a hard place being the avatar and being from the Southern water tribe. And she's taken that position she wants to stand up for them because she knows that what Unalak is doing is wrong. And she has that context. Everybody else in the greater world, they don't. And yeah. how, you know, so I, I want to kind of get your that thoughts was, uh, on kind of this. That was a, uh, that was tension. a lovely little synopsis there. No, that, I like that, <laughs> that look. I, it's, it's interesting. I mean, my view of I reason why I love history is because I feel like it gives interesting perspective on things. And a lot of what I feel like I've seen is that almost all of history is conflicts between people that think they're doing something that they think is right. And as you just brought up with, with like couples and relationships, my wife and I, we just talk through our cats. So we just hold their hands up and we make, <laughs> you know, pretend like we're talking through them and just being cats, which, you know, might or might not work for some people. Um, in this case, it's you have Mako, who's in the position where he's a police officer. Trying to uphold the law of Republic City in an as, as objective fashion as he can. Like, in this case, he hasn't said anything. He's just saying, he's like, I just don't think we should jump to conclusions here. Cora mm. wanted the instant vindication that, no, I, it's like, I need to do something about these problems. Because people were almost killed while I'm the Avatar in this conflict between, you know, if not nations, at least uh, parts of nations. Mm-hmm. And she just wants peace. He just wants peace. They just, uh, you know, they're going at it different ways. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, again, it's the, they, they, they develop some deeper. Pl- I understand like, you know, some people don't like the love triangle that was developed in this show, but you have to at least respect the writing that they had between Mako and Korra's like where they're coming from. I, I mm-hmm. thought that they were written very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, again, we have to look at, uh, we I talked earlier about, Tenzin missing the other part of this too is that there is no gang in the same way you think of how much they are all isolated they are all doing their own thing Asami she has to run a company Mako he's a police officer Korra she's the avatar and Bolin is now off with Varric so (laughs) you know in comparison to when like Hang in the gang, they're all together. They're always there, always supporting each other. And you have to, like, we have to remember 
that Cora grew up listening to those stories, hearing about the inseparable bonds of this group when they were going through this intense time that they lived through. And I think that there's almost like a yearning for that, that that yearning of just like, well, they were there for each other. They were always there supporting them. And I think that that's part of what Cora's expectation is, but not understanding again, that it's like, it's also when you're dealing with teenagers and, you know, young adults, they are starting to live their own lives individually and it becomes much more complicated. I mean, look how difficult it is sometimes to just coordinate meeting up with friends to be able to like go out for something or even just to do a Zoom call for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like everyone's got their own things going on. You got me. Tough. I mean, you, you're doing this before your job and I'm doing this before <laughs> the Packers game. How we managed to arrange this, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so we go back now to the pro bending arena. Bolin and Varric arrive to a celebrity's welcome. Um, and uh, it, it's this wonderful moment where like, they're like all these cameras are flashing. And I love this line where Bolin, it's just like, wow, I'm not used to seeing so many flashing lights. And when I do, it's because I've been hitting the head really hard. <laughs> hitting the head with a rock. And Varric's just like, well, that's what being famous is like. Being hit in the head with a rock all the time. <laughs> Varric, so the, oh. the, the tongue-in-cheekness of Varric. I, I, they definitely threw Varric in just to be like, let's have some fun with Hollywood. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And famous people. Oh. So they go inside the arena, and uh, we see that um, Bolin is soon interviewed uh, by Shiro Shinobi, the uh, commentator for the pro-bending arena. Um, and... It's interesting. It's just so fun because he goes and they ask him a very serious question and Bolin is just so brutally honest and you just see he just kills the mood of the entire <laughs> arena. But then <laughs> as soon he's as he so does innocent. that, he's just like, but how about I love being back at Republic City? <laughs> and, then the, and then the crowd just roars and cheers in response. And then again loses them again how he's just like well you know just like sometimes you know all of this is really hard sometimes cry myself to sleep and it goes this like pan (laughs) shot of the crowd everyone's quiet and then he's just like but it's because i miss these fans (laughs) (laughs) and wins the crowd back and then as he kind of walks back varick applauds him and he goes you know what i think i found your true calling and that moment just got me. I don't know. It just, it was so, and I think it was also like the musical sting that they did with that as well. It's like this just beautiful, I don't, I, like, I, it's like a beautiful use of a woodwind that Jeremy uh, Zuckerman uses. And it's just like this, uh, it, it feels, I don't know, so good. It, it, and you get reaffirmed in this moment that like Bolin's been cast to the side. He's been unsure where he's kind of laying and all of this. And then suddenly someone, realizes that potential in him and it's this i i love it it's such a beautiful moment ah uh, the the capitalism that is varic yes ah, excellent here's the use for you <laughs> <laughs> yes because that's the other side of it too it's heartwarming but it's also we have to realize that varic understands like that's my killers they they i know it's that the roller coaster of this episode it's that varic's like oh he found bolin's true calling for him <laughs> <laughs> 
So then we see that Varric and Korra are now going to meet with President Raiko, who we have heard about but not seen up until this point. Um, and they're asking for the United Republic's help dealing with the Northern Water Tribe. Uh, Raiko is hesitant, and Varric notes that the United Republic is already involved after the Cultural Center was attacked. Um and Raiko decides that the United Republic has to remain neutral and would not commit forces and instead seeking a diplomatic solution. And this is a very interesting moment because, again, we're getting Republic City and United Republic from the framework of a more contemporary democracy with a president talking about like just the way that power is held. He refers to himself as the commander in chief. It is all very much a very familiar language in terms of what we see in a lot of contemporary styles of government. So I don't know what, what's your kind of read initially of them kind of like having Raiko stay neutral in this moment, especially with comparison to history and a lot of uh, rulers who might try to, uh, you know, take that on and not get involved. No, that's a good. I was actually trying to think of a comparison to it, and, and it's interesting because uh, initially I made like that offhand comment in one of the other episodes. I'm like, "Oh, where's the United Republic in all this?" It's like they should probably do something about all these big nations fighting each other, especially within nations. Um, but then at some point, like I never really thought about or explored the depth of how large the United Republic is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they call it the United Republic, but it seems like it, their area of control is limited. And their powers and abilities are probably limited. And depending, and you know, if they're like a true republic, that means like at any time the northern, you know, maybe the Fire Nation has a bigger army than the United Republic does and goes, hmm, we don't like this anymore. And then they just bail. And that's the thing you get in every republic is you have to make deals with everything. So I'm sure his hands are tied just as much as anyone else's in that he can't upset anyone too much by making it very obvious or making it seem like he's pro one side or another. So if he starts mm-hmm. saying, oh, I'm investigating this bombing, it was probably the Northern Water Tribe, then that would, I can't imagine that would go well. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. uh, it's one of those things where like, uh, whenever you see people in management, which I have made my way into, uh, you go, why aren't they doing anything? And then you get into their chair and you're like, oh, that's why. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. everybody else really has the power. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so I, I thought... Again, this is those things I'm noticing more watching this show again, especially 10 years later, is the like just how parallelly they are to real world stuff like this. This really is just kind of real real world stuff in a animated show. Yeah, absolutely. So this scene takes uh, or this episode takes a hard turn. And well, it's I wouldn't say it's a hard turn, but it's. Oh boy, it uh, it gets into a dramatic turn here as we are back at Mako's apartment and Cora and Mako get into a full-fledged fight as, uh, again, it is just, they are just disagreeing so much because when Cora tells Mako about Raiko's decision, Mako's just like, well, yeah, it probably... I, I don't think he would want to get involved. Like this is like very tenuous. Like it's just, there's a lot that could go wrong with like one committing, you know, to one side or the other, because I think it's also a testament, not only in what Raiko is doing, but Mako's perspective and a lot of other people's perspective is the, how people feel after a very long, brutal war. 
and how much they will do so much to avoid going into such a global conflict again. And how sometimes in the midst of that, there is a lot of people who can get away with things, a lot of nations who can get away with things that normally they wouldn't because there's always this fear of not getting involved in a greater global conflict. Well, let's not go giving away a future episode of... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's such a great, great point, though. Mm. Which is true. I mean, these, what, we're... 15, 20 years after, well, less than 20 years after a hundred year war that was, that involved a decent amount of genocide. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd be hesitant. Yeah, no, for sure. And and it's just like, because you, because everyone understands too, is like, as soon as you start throwing your weight behind one side or the other, that means that everybody else has to start picking sides. And I think what Ryko is saying, is just like, this is between them. We are not going to get involved because as soon as the United Republic gets involved, then suddenly it's just like, all right, how's the Earth Kingdom feel about this? How's the Fire Nation feel about this? And suddenly everyone has to throw their chips in and it just makes it all worse for wear. So um, after this fight, we go uh, to Korra uh, and Asami going to Varric. Um, Korra is just like, all right, we need it. We need action. Surprise, surprise, that's what Korra wants. Uh, to get help with the war. Um, and Asami needs to help to save her company. And then we get to see this beautiful scene. We saw this dramatic scene between Korra and Mako. It's like, ugh, tense. And then we get a nice reprieve through Varric's famous brainstorming technique, which involves eating a hot pepper and hanging upside down. The whole process is so good. <laughs> Which I feel like is the precursor to uh, I can't remember the show where the people eat hot peppers during an interview. Like the Varric, he was oh yeah, such like a, hot ones. <laughs> they, he's such a innovator. <laughs> oh my goodness! So Varric, in this moment, after saying a bunch of really random stuff, uh, then proposes going straight to the military for Cora to say like, you know, why ask Raiko? Let's just go straight to the military, and then for Asami. It's like, well, you could sell mecha tanks. There are people who need them in the war in the South. And he's like, I love the line where he's like, if you can't make money during a war, then you just can't make money. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, you're you're right, Varric, but he's that's right. so wrong. <laughs> oh my God. So in the final part of it, the final part of the plan, how to sway public opinion, propaganda. Featuring Bolin as Nuktuk of the South, cut together with actual footage of the Northern invasion. He shows clips of the Northern Water Tribe invading the South. And this is just absolutely incredible because I'm so glad that they did this parallel, especially as like a film nerd. I was going <laughs> like, to ask you about that. I was uh, going to ask what your thoughts were on because I know we kind of touched into this a little bit when we did the. Um, the Equalist episode? Yes. So I'm very curious what your thoughts are on this. Well, I, I do want to, once we kind of make our way through uh, book two, and once we kind of get to a certain point, especially we see the rest of the Nuktuk story and everything, I'm going to do a specific episode talking about this because there's so much to unpack about yes. not only the influence of film, but also the inspiration that they uh, that they draw from for like this specific type of story. But very briefly touching on it is that during the Bolshevik revolution, uh, Sergei Eisenstein, one of the earliest and most influential, um, Russian filmmakers, 
he made propaganda films to support the revolution. And they would go on a train all across Russia. They would bring these like these camera setups and they would show them in the most remote villages and cities all across Russia about all of this. And that is how there was such a massive movement with that because suddenly people were seeing like, I mean, film to many of these people was a completely new thing. And then seeing like, it's like, this must be truth. Like, look at this. Like, look at what is happening. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. And suddenly it is a very, very, very powerful medium to be able to convey uh, ideas. Which and, is good because what I mean he just invented movers how long ago two episodes ago <laughs> yeah no it's it's crazy ah. so like yeah he's gonna be the first person showing people this here's what's happening on the other side of the world and and giving their perspective and at that point who are you gonna believe yeah I love it Bolin's just like he's like prefacing to Corey's like don't worry it's not real <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um so. Then we see Bolin uh, returns to the apartment. Um, he's thrilled about this new plan of action. Um, Mako is stressing over a, is that a, like a lookbook or like, what is the name of like the, the type of book that you look through? It's got like a bunch of like criminal profiles or headshots. Um, I tried to find, I don't it, know the exact I name. I feel it. like head, headshots was a good point. I mean, my, my going through a Brooklyn nine, nine might not be the most <laughs> thorough of, <laughs> So we see that uh, Bolin, uh, he confesses the whole plan to Mako. You know, he's he's brutally honest. That's what we have seen from Bolin. Um, and Mako is just like, going to the military behind, like, the president's back is a bad idea. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and But then he kind of, you know, and then Bolin is absentmindedly flipping through the suspect book. And then that's where Mako finds the culprit behind the Peace March bombing. Breaks the case wide open, or at least he thinks so in his mind. Um, and then we go back, again, this very serious moment, back to the Southern Air Temple. Tenzin is dropping some hard training truths on Milo as he shows him how to establish dominance and further his lemur training. Pokey is trying to get in bed with Milo, and Tenzin's just like, nope, you are the alpha. You cannot allow him in bed. And like Milo's like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because Tenzin is like so genuine and is wanting to help, but it's like it is so I, I don't know. It's just he's very... trying to be so patient with it, which is just so funny. It, it it's the it's a microcosm of what he's had to do with Korra, which is trying to be extremely patient with someone who has a lot of potential. Yeah, and and also I mean like it, Milo's frustration with Pokey, like it it is so funny because like Milo's talking about how like how hard this is and how frustrating. And like Tenzin's like, yep. yep. I wouldn't know anything about that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Not like goodness. raising a Milo. <laughs> <laughs> so then we go back to Republic City. Mako uh, goes to the police station and he he's ready. He's got his findings. He wants to be able to show this. But this is when we get some insight we realize just how low on the totem pole Mako is because as he's walking up, these two just very stereotypical, like just like laid back cops are just like, he's like, he goes, I, I found the guy who was behind that. And they're like, yeah, why don't you just like go right into uh Beifong's office? Just tell her you break the case wide open. He's like, you really think I should do that? They're like, yeah. 
<laughs> and then he walks in, and Bayfunk just goes off on him. It's like, you walk in during my meeting with with the president? <laughs> it's like, oh, man. And it, it's, it's, it's brutal. But Mako, disheveled, goes best back to his desk, and then Raiko comes forward. As he does this, he's like, I've heard some really good things about you. And you're also dating the Avatar. And if there's anything, you know, he, he says, he goes, I feel like she might be getting some bad advice from Varric. And he's like, if there's anything that you know that might be helpful, then I want you to, re- I want to remind you that you swore an oath. Mm. And as Raiko begins to leave, we think for a moment, it's like he didn't specifically ask him, do you know anything? Yeah. But it's that sin of omission, and Mako is so committed. And especially after hearing that, after being reprimanded by Beifong, realizing kind of that reality check of just like how low he is on this totem pole, Mako stops him and tells him that there's something he should know. He's <sighs> such a straight arrow. <laughs> it's tough because, it, it, like, you also, it's. You get upset, but you also understand because they're like, shit, man. It's just like chain of command. Yeah. And it's just like there's not too much you can do about that. And if there's anything that Cora probably does not agree with more than anything and hates, it is absolutely chain of command. <laughs> <laughs> What's this chain? Smash. <laughs> so we see Cora goes to speak with General Iroh about going south. And General Iroh is just like, well, I mean, we could do this routine training mission and, you know, incidentally come across a northern and then our only choice would be to defend ourselves. And they're like, yes, like, all right, we got a plan. Let's do this. And then Raiko comes out and he reminds him that uh, he is his commander in chief and that he is by no means leaving this harbor. And then Iroh's hands are officially tied. I, I like how quickly General Iroh is like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's just like, I think he's like, there's part of him. I feel like just like, I want to be part of the crew. <laughs> like I'll be help. I mean, we're paying all us. these guys to have these ships and armor. Right. Well, their money's worth. Uh, so then we go back to Varric and now we're on the mover set for Varric's new film. Uh, Bolin is decked out in full Nuktuk regalia. Uh, I love how he's just like, he goes, wouldn't Nuktuk be cold? Like, wouldn't I be cold wearing this in, like in the Southern water tribe? And like, Varric's like nonsense. Nuktuk is never cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And then Cora, she shows up asking Bolin to look after Naga and that's when they quickly deduce that Mako tipped off Raiko because she's like, I don't know how we found out. We were the only ones to know. And then Bolin's just like, well, also Mako. And then she's just like, <laughs> oh, Bolin. And Bolin's just like, well, he wouldn't have done anything. He wouldn't have said that. And Cora's just like, God damn it. <laughs> you innocent, muscular fool. That's what we all learn. Ah. <laughs> uh. And then we transition back to the Southern Water Tribe. Milo is now showing off his training. 
as he has like he's telling he's telling me uh you know first it's pokey just like all right sit roll over it's like very good and like intensity is so proud and he's just like oh this is great he goes he goes you did such a good job training uh pokey he's like i didn't just train pokey i trained all the lemurs (laughs) and then takes out his whistle and suddenly an army of lemurs just starts flying through the air it could be my favorite tenzin line (laughs) and as we go back to tenzin saying i created a monster But Tenzin's just like, you know what? Why don't we take a break from training? You and Pokey should just hang out. And Milo's just like, yeah, uh, and training's so hard. And then, but then he blows the whistle again, and, <laughs> and then they all just—it's <laughs> <laughs> such a wonderful insight into like how different Milo is from literally anyone in that family. And I love <laughs> that he is just like this. He's just absolutely this gung ho like cop, but you know what? It's so true because that is like that is the type of like shit like young boys like they love that kind of stuff. Like so many young boys are just like, all right, let's do this. Like I'm ready to like, and it's not speaking. And then for just single mindedly uh, just attack it. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. After we have this nice brief comedic moment, we go right back into a very tense moment as Korra confronts Mako and things officially come to a head as she accuses him of betraying her. And Mako is like, what am I supposed to do? I swore an oath and that's when Mako kind of realizes he goes, well, clearly we're both dedicated to our jobs me to the force and you to being the avatar. Maybe we don't have time for each other. And Mako breaks up with her. Man, and, he is, he's uh, so, <laughs> it, it, he's it's, su- it's such tough. a stone heart. <laughs> he's such a stone heart. And it's just like, on one side, you understand where he's coming from with like, knowing that like, this isn't healthy, but Again, Mako, read the room. Cora is in a very like emotional like state right now where she is like and she doesn't have people in her corner right now. Everyone is turning against her and it's just like maybe wait, maybe like talk things out a little bit, but you know what? As we heard from Mako earlier this season, sometimes you just got to rip it off like a leech. Yeah. And it's uh, a good point. But you know what, Mako, sometimes you got to realize that when you do that, there's going to be blood and there's going to be a mess afterwards, which is yeah. exactly what happens. Korra dashes off, tears pouring down her eyes. And before we get into where she goes, we get a wonderful moment. <laughs> As Bayfunk comes out, what in the flamio is going on out here? And he tells her that he broke up with the Avatar. And then Bayfong, no sympathy, just yep. goes, you got off easy. You should have seen Air Temple Island after Tenzin broke up with me. <laughs> oh, my God. What I would pay to see that. I would. Oh, oh my God. Goodness. That would be just a great, like, <laughs> just a uh, uh, double side, like a two page panel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just her wrecking the Temple Islands. Oh, my God. Ah, oh, jeez. So. The final scene from this episode, Korra takes one of Varric's boats 
and she said she needs to go to the Fire Nation because General Iroh suggested maybe talk to my grandfather, talk to the Fire Lord. Like maybe we can get their help with this. Korra leaves, but is soon pursued by the twins, Eska and Desna, chasing her. They destroy the boat, and suddenly they're in this like mid-water combat as they're like going back and forth. And as the fight continues, Eska and Desna see something under the water, glowing and approaching, and they leave as a spirit emerges from the water, knocks Korra out into the water, forcing her into the Avatar state. We get a moment where we're like, okay, maybe, maybe Korra can pacify this spirit. Doesn't work. And then the spirit launches up and just devours her. And it is super fascinating because, again, there's so many of these little moments that keep echoing from the beginning of this season. What if Unalak had actually trained her in doing that? What if Korra had been insistent on receiving that training? And that's the thing. I, 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 it is, I think sometimes people give Unalak a bad rap as like a simple villain, but you know what? He had all this power all of these things that he could do that could have upended things and he kept it away from her. He destabilized their whole friend group by the actions of through his children, through so much of what he did along the way. And like Cora is left alone without the power to be able to do this without her friends to back her up. And suddenly this is what it results to a spirit like, devouring her in the middle of the ocean we're like all right well what what the, what the hell is gonna happen now <laughs> <laughs> it's true no i i have to that's what i've liked of this is that it's a villain that has been manipulating her throughout the whole season mm-hmm. and he's and he's made it her decisions each time almost exactly. each time mm-hmm. oh man all right so kevin any final thoughts on this episode as we wrap things up here i I know we have another episode to go because uh, I feel like a lot of Korra has been like kind of paired up episodes. And I and mm-hmm. I think this one naturally is kind of a pair up with the next episode. Um, I've grown a greater appreciation for the complexities that the writers try to build into this show. I felt like they were trying, you know, as you said, like in, in the amount of time they had, they had a further a plot. But you can definitely tell like the things between the president between Korra and Mako, like they, they, they start hitting on a lot of bigger things going on in the world and bigger themes that happen in like real life. Um, that even though, you know, it's going quick and, uh, maybe not the way everyone saw it going. It's, it's such tight writing. Um, Mm -hmm. whatever you can say about Korra, their writing is very tight. Mm -hmm. Um, people might find it compressed if you're comparing it to something else, but if you look at it on its own, the plot that they start furthering is just so deep. Like you said, the, the Unilock, like how he's using Korra um, and, and what he's been doing to her, you know, the, the gang there um, watching Asami and Mako and they're uh, going back and forth. And then Varric just uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Varric and Bolin. And I, I, I think Bolin, I, I get that he was kind of there as like a, a bit of a, you know, the comedic effect of the group, but uh, he's, 
He's just so lovable, but dumb. <laughs> every yes. episode, every, but that'll be my synopsis of every episode. Ah, Bolin. <laughs> he has such a big heart. He really does. Exactly. He has a big uh, heart. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that there is just a lot of uh, really, there are really potent moments in this episode in terms of furthering, uh, you know, Varric, uh, Varric's character, but also just again, Mako and Korra coming to a head with their relationship that just destabilizing so much uh, the Southern Cultural Center bombing it, there, there is so much that is happening and we are completely away from the Southern Water Tribe we're seeing how much this is echoing already to Republic City and I think that it's showing how quickly that can travel in terms of the impact of what is happening in the world it's a testament to how how much smaller this world has become and oh, that's a good that's the, very true like it's it just it, it's it's just very interesting to see how this goes down and i think you're right it, these episodes really pair um because then we are really about to launch into a very very important pivot and turning point for this season um so i'm excited for when we get there but uh until uh, until we get to that, uh, we'll be back with that next week. But guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me and for the wonderful insight as always. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So, folks, uh, remember, you can find out more about all, a lot of stuff here with us at Legend of Portalcast at our social medias. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, on Twitter at Portalcast Pod. You can, of course, email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com or visit our website at legendofportalcast.com. Um, so this is a reminder. I'm going to be uh, putting, I put a little note here at the beginning of the episode that we have launched our official Discord server. Um, so if you guys are interested in checking that out, joining in on the conversation, we're creating this as a hub for a lot of recommendations for great avatar content in media. Um, because... Honestly, there are so many podcasts, video series, articles, art, memes, everything. It is so wonderful. And we want to be able to share that in a space where conversation can really happen. Not everyone's on Instagram. Not everyone's on Facebook. Not everyone's on Twitter. But we want to kind of have a place where people can join in, uh, be able to chat with us, uh, potentially suggest new episodes that we can do. And uh, we've got some really fun stuff planned as well that we're going to be doing with the Discord server. Um, So for more information on that, uh, you can either check our link tree uh, that we have in our Instagram bio or on our website at legendofportalcast.com. We'll have a section there detailing information all about that for you to learn more. Uh, But guys, thank you again, as always, for your support. We appreciate it. And until next week, and until then, let us leave.